This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, December 18, 2008. I'm Caleb Brown. Overemphasizing the terrorist threat not only can give rise to a loss of liberty at home, but it can also enhance the profile and respectability of the terrorist groups themselves. So how do we react appropriately to terrorism without minimizing the risk associated with it? Jim Harper, Director of Information Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, offers a few comments. In January, Cato will host a two-day conference, Shaping the Obama Administration's Counterterrorism Strategy. You can sign up to attend at cato.org slash counterterrorism. Well, one of the most important lenses through which to look at terrorism is, is the strategic lens. To hear some talk about terrorists, they do have huge arsenals of actual weapons and weapons of mass destruction, which is a ambiguous and mostly inaccurate term about many weapons that people put under that umbrella. What's the weapon that they do have, though? It's communication. That is, um, more than direct attacks, terrorism threatens overreaction. And terrorist communications to us and our communications to terrorists are an important part of the battle. So let's unpack briefly um, what the strategic logic of terrorism is. Essentially, and it's it's hard to generalize because, and people too often do generalize about terrorists because there are multiple different terrorist groups with multiple different motivations, some with little or no articulate motivation at all. But very generally speaking, uh, terrorism intends to induce overreaction or works to induce overreaction in order to achieve some goal. So let's let's talk about that overreaction. And I've, I've separated it out into constituent parts, uh, including waste of blood and treasure. That is when the victim nation, we'll talk about the United States in this case, uh, the victim nation uh, spends extraordinary amounts of it, its resources on terrorism prevention or reaction to terrorism, including going to war, as we've done in Iraq. The 911 attacks on the United States caused perhaps $10 billion in damage and loss of lives, and that's, that's horrible. But we may have spent uh, $1 trillion before it's all over on reacting to those attacks. The main brunt of the attacks is our overreaction, not the loss of the World Trade Center towers and the, and the two to 3,000 people. But in addition, that's the obvious overreaction. In addition, you have overreaction that draws sympathy and recruitment gains to terrorists. So they can actually help sort of build their movements through the overreactions of the, of the victim state. The narrative, if you will, of al-Qaeda is that the United States, among, among many narratives, again, hard to pin down, is that the United States is an imperial power that wants to occupy Arab lands, etc., etc., well, what did we do in invading Iraq? For whatever legitimate motivations there may have been, we confirmed that narrative. Dan Benjamin at, at uh, Brookings is the, is the one who taught me about the idea of narrative confirmation in a terrorism context, and that's, I think it's a brilliant insight. So what, what, what has that done? That has given al-Qaeda sympathy and recruitment advantages in the area among nearby ideological and nearby physical individuals. Finally, Terrorism will weaken the political order in the society attacked. That is, we in the United States and, and the West, uh, Europe too, have moved away somewhat from our, our, our ideology, our tradition of 
tolerance, of respect for civil liberties, and so on and so forth. That's also narrative confirming, by the way, that the United States is an evil superpower, not that the United States is a beneficent superpower. So examples like Abu Ghraib, Guantanamo, and internally, warrantless wiretapping of our own citizenry, um, these are all weakening of our, of our political society. And so the prescription that comes out of this, this, illust- this description of, of uh, overreaction is to avoid all of, these, all of these steps. That is, if you possibly can, avoid going to war. Avoid homeland security spending that is excessive. You want to make darn sure that anything you do to terrorists hits only terrorists. If you hit a wedding party when you're intending to bomb a small-time terrorist leader, you've done more damage to yourself and your cause than by knocking off, decapitating this uh, hydra-headed terrorist cell. Likewise, sticking to our ideology sends powerful, powerful signals to audiences on the fence throughout the world. Abu Ghraib was a terrible, terrible mistake because it communicated the wrong thing to audiences around the world. Guantanamo has been a terrible, terrible mistake because of what it communicates. And so we need to think about this strategically. What do we communicate to terrorists as they are trying to terrify us? We need to communicate strength, confidence, and all that makes America great. Two countries that represent some of the primary sources of terrorism, at least as they are threats to the United States, are Pakistan and Afghanistan. Uh, countries that are essentially driven by rumor. There are a lot of you know, defense policy people in Washington who would say, look, it doesn't matter what a lot of these people think uh, when it comes to executing our uh, fight against uh, terrorism around the world. It doesn't matter what they think. What they think is probably wrong anyway, so we should uh, uh, proceed apace. Well, that is mighty dismissive of a whole lot of populations who are in, indeed truly relatively um, uneducated, relatively poorly informed, and susceptible to manipulation by their governments and by terrorist leaders or religious figures or whoever. But the truth will out, and people have a capability in their communica- communities and societies to learn the truth. And if we do things that confirm the story, put forward by a government hostile to the United States, or put forward by a terrorist group, or put forward by a religious demagogue. This, these are strategic errors, and these are errors in the, what, you know, the, the, the throwaway phrase is hearts and minds. The, the, sometimes the phrase hearts and minds is used in ways that, that reflect a real misunderstanding about, about what that means. So we need to act as we expect the United States to act, that is, according people their rights Obviously, when we strike at someone who has, who is a known terrorist, someone who has plotted successfully to kill Americans, etc., go ahead and strike. But it's very, very important, more important than taking out a particular terrorist, to prevent drawing recruitment and sympathy gains to, to the Allies. Because, again, it's a hydra-headed situation where, where decapitating a group does not dispel the group. It actually will excite and motivate uh, as much as... As much as uh, take down a particular cell. In the days immediately following that, uh, September 11th, 2001, George Bush was pretty much the only public statement he would make to and from helicopters was terrorists take freedom. And uh, there's since then has been a great deal of sloganeering and uh, you know flexing of, of muscles about you know how we ought to think about terrorism and treat it and uh, 
the answer is in some case some cases it's better to overreact it's better to overreact to to terrorism so uh what motivates them there's a there's a great scene in the movie the jerk starring steve martin where the the guy who's after him he's working at the gas station the guy who's after him is shooting at him from from a hillside or something like that sniper style and steve martin goes the cans they're shooting at the cans well we have this tremendous capacity in the case of terrorism and other things to ascribe to people a motive of causing whatever it was they caused so if they if they cause us to abandon our freedom we will tend to say that that terrorists hate our freedom if they caused us to all uh, stop wearing hats for some reason we might say terrorists wanted us to stop wearing hats so it's very important, and, and a lot of good work is being done among the people that are going to be at our January counterterrorism conference. It's very important to understand what motivates terrorists. And there isn't a single monolithic explanation. Now, there are some terrorists who have geopolitical aims, or at least will express geopolitical aims. It serves them very well, by the way, to make us think, or make p- parts of the U.S. population think that they are trying to establish a worldwide Muslim caliphate because that runs some people around the bend. And it may be that some have that goal. It's absolutely impossible. It's just not concerning at all to me or to, I think, most people who, who understand the, the power balances between terrorists and the United States. There are others, and I think there, this is probably a larger group, who have grievances, local grievances, about lands being occupied, about uh, perhaps clashes of cultures, that kind of thing. But for the most part, those will be um, essentially localized. And it's it's wrong, I think, to assume that most terrorists, or even a large number of terrorists, really have uh, a, as a goal to defeat the United States in any significant way. If the United States was out of Arab lands, that would be enough for, I think, uh, the, the vast majority. Most interesting is is the class of terrorists, which might be called the muscle. The majority of the 911 attackers were simply muscle. They didn't didn't have any particular aim. And their motivation, the good, good research reflects the, the motivation of this type of terrorist, it equates essentially to gang membership, being a part of something bigger than themselves. They don't really know what they stand for, but they're part of a, a club, they're part of a gang that's, uh, if you'll pardon the expression, badass. And reading reading about this stuff, I realized th- these are gang members. These are vandals. We have this in the United States where people um, lack opportunity, people lack family ties, etc., and they join gangs. I think it's a very uh, very similar to to terrorists. This is where communications to the world back to terrorists are so very very important. When U.S. national leaders ascribe powers to Al Qaeda or Osama bin Laden that they don't have such as the power to declare war, how thrilling that must be for the gang member type terrorist to say, I'm part of this organization with which threatens the United States. This presidential candidate or this president or vice president ascribes these powers to my leader, Osama bin Laden. Absolute mistake, to, I think, to even utter the name Osama bin Laden as a national leader. You do have to talk about terrorism from time to time but absolutely to diminish the power of terrorists in our public discussion is critically important, and it's something that nobody has done up to this point. I think we'll explore 
this the communications dimension of counterterrorism quite a bit in our January conference, and I'm really looking forward to, to hearing from the panelists that we have coming to speak. Jim Harper is Director of Information Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. In January, Cato will host a two-day conference shaping the Obama administration's counterterrorism strategy. You can sign up to attend at cato.org slash counterterrorism.